0: You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. We are in the book of Judges uh, starting a series. Don't grab your Bible and turn there yet. You might just sit there for a while. I want to lay some, some framework. Um, Pastor Scott's done an incredible job the last couple of weeks just sort of laying the context and the foundation. Um, and as I press into this text, like a, like a lot of it's easy for preachers sometime to go, this is my favorite passage of scripture ever, um, which is usually my favorite is wherever I am at the moment. Um, but as, as I've been pressing into this, a couple of things have, have come to mind. Um, number one, I'm, I'm grateful that God loves us the way we are, um, but he loves us enough not to leave us the way we are. Um, judges, much like the scripture as a whole, is the story of God taking broken people, redeeming them and using them for his honor and glory, even though they're still imperfect. Anybody else? Um, man, we see it in Judges, but we see it in every other book of the Bible, right? God takes these broken, messed up people and he loves them and he redeems them. And, and uh, so that, that's been encouraging to me, if, if not to you this week, that's been encouraging to me to realize that even though I messed up, God loves me, he redeems me, Um, and his desires to use me for his honor and glory. Um, But I've also been encouraged, and I just want to share that um, God's doing some neat stuff in our midst. Uh, You may not be aware of of all that. That's okay. Um, But, you know, God is is doing work. Um, I've had some messages from different people over different things and um, someone that led a neighbor to the Lord, to, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and I'm like man, thanks for your obedience in the moment. Um, had a sweet note from one of our small group leaders, just talking about some of the stuff that God is doing in their lives and in their group, and people that they never really knew before, but how God is binding them together and growing them and using them, and and that stuff's exciting uh, to me. Uh, Disciple making relationships that are taking place, people are loving each other. Uh, there's There's tragic things that are happening, and we have church family that are stepping into that messy stuff and loving them and uh, It's just awesome to see God doing things and I just want you to know that um, the uh, The process of of living together as a family of of christ is is incredible um, and so we talk a lot about um, getting connected and growing and so I just want you to know that as as you step into this place, uh, we're in this together. Uh, Jesus invites us to a personal relationship with himself. And no one can do that for you. Hear me, hear me. No one can live for Jesus for you. That's personal, that's intimate. But we do it together. Um, There's some joy in having people that are speaking God's truth into your life and holding us accountable for the things we know. Um, and so we, we do that, and not just Sunday mornings as we gather, this is great, and I, I really trust and pray that you are challenged, that you are encouraged in your walking relationship with Christ, or if you don't know Him this morning, because that's some of you, that, that you'll come to know Him. Um, if you're not connected in a group with other people that are loving you every day and pointing you to Jesus, you need to do that. Uh, we, we have some new groups that we're starting this week, Tuesday night and Wednesday night on campus, kind of neutral location. Come be a part of that, get connected with some people. Um, next week, next Sunday night in this room, uh, we've got right now a little over 100 ladies already committed to be here, but I, I seriously think we'll probably have two, 300 women gathering in this place. So grab your phone, text the event information to a friend because nothing beats a personal invitation. Uh, special guest, Bethany's going to be here and lead us in a couple of songs next Sunday morning, but then she's going to be here really for the ladies next Sunday night as you gather and worship and, and just pour into one another. Uh, guys, two weeks from tonight, the one day so far in the year, there's no football, so That was intentional. Guys, we're going to gather, we're going to worship. Both of these events are really intended for encouragement, challenge, but also to just kind of lay some framework uh, as our elders for the last couple of years have been praying, what is God doing in the life of our church? What do the next 10 years look like? So you're going to hear some of that vision, some of that direction, and how that relates to you individually as you live in relationship with one another. Uh, So I really want to invite you to be a part of that. Uh, Invite somebody. Uh, because, again, nothing beats a personal invitation, okay? Um, But it's just really been encouraging. Um, As we look at the the book of Judges, as we look at Scripture as a whole, uh, let me just remind you of the cycle that Judges is all about. Uh, You can see the graphic on the screen. Pastor Scott unpacked this. Um, We talk about the cycle of Judges, but can I just say this is the cycle of Dave? (laughs) Anybody with me? Listen. Walking with Jesus is tough stuff. There, there's nothing easy about this except God's grace and mercy. <laughs> That's the easy part of it. It's, it's great because it's free, but it, it absolutely demands a surrender on our part to walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. But I can't help but through the years realize that the book of Judges is really a story of my life and probably a story of your life. Uh, the, the one phrase we will hear quite a bit. And again, the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and I can just simply go, again, Dave did evil in the sight of the Lord. And he paid the consequence, and he, but he was redeemed because First John 1, 9, if I confess my sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness and bring me back into right relationship. Then there's this restoration period, and I'm enjoying my walk in relationship with the Lord until the next time I blow it. Which is usually about 30 minutes later, right? And it's like, but it's just this cycle of God's redemption. But here's the thing that we'll see this morning God is a covenant making, covenant keeping God. And He loves you. He calls you to Himself, He calls you to His family, He calls you to His mission. So this is, although my relationship with Jesus is personal and intimate because no one can live it for me, it's also public in that I live it out with a family. And I live out that mission with his family. We see that all through the book of Judges. Uh, But to just kind of lay some some groundwork, uh, I was encouraged week one, um, and if you have your Bible, hopefully you, you wrote it, uh, right on the title page of the book of Judges because Pastor Scott, just write this down. There's always a path to renewal. There's always a path to renewal. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've run away from God, there is always a path to renewal. That's God's grace. That's his mercy. That's his hope put on display for us. So as we look at the book of Judges, again, the, over the next probably nine, ten weeks still, I want you to know that um, there, there is this cycle, there's this process that's taken place. And, and we have two ways that we can look at the book of Judges. We can simply look at it like a history book and go, wow, those people are really jacked up. Or we can look at it, and this is my perspective, I'm reading it and go, holy cow, I am really jacked up. But I'm in a covenant relationship with a God that loves me and is willing to redeem me time and time and time again. So I I don't want to simply look at the the book as, as, well, that's history. Now we know what happened thousands of years ago. The question becomes, God, what do you want to teach me about me? God, what do you want to teach me about us as a church? God, what do you want to teach us about our relationship with one another and our mission for you? So it is very personal, but we have to unpack it in a way that that we understand that God is teaching us about his relationship with us. We see it in his relationship with the nation of Israel as they're taking over this promised land, right? This land flowing with milk and honey. But we also have to say, what is he teaching me? Thousands of years later, God, what are you teaching me? What am I learning from this? Because we're not looking at these judges. Today, we look at the very first one. There's 12 that are listed throughout the book. And today, we're introduced to the first one that's listed there. The goal is not to go, oh, I want to live like that guy or that girl right? As we talk about Deborah, as we talk about Barak, as we talk about, you know, uh, Jephthah, or we talk about Ehud or any, they're not these great model citizens or even model Christians. So the question is, hey, now I don't want to try to be them. I want to try to be me the best way I can, the way God created me. And so it's important to understand this cycle and where God is pulling us because what he's doing is he's inviting us into this love relationship. He invites us to close proximity with him to live out this covenant love relationship, right? Literally to enjoy him fully. God's invitation is that you would come and just enjoy him fully and completely. What a great invitation. God, how do I know you? How do I walk in relationship with you? And so it's important just to know that God had made a covenant with the nation of Israel. God has established a covenant with you. He fulfilled his covenant, his vow through the person of Jesus Christ, through his shed blood on the cross that you can experience forgiveness and be brought into a right relationship with him. So this covenant goes all the way back to the very beginning. God is a covenant maker. God is a covenant keeper. God will keep his word. He, even if I don't, he does. It, it's just, it's phenomenal. So um, as we look at the book of Judges uh, chapter 3 this morning, I want to, again, create some, a little bit of a background to kind of understand where we are. Again, Pastor Scott's done a lot of the contextual history, and, and we kind of know where we are, um, but it's important. So if if you're Pressing into God's word, um, we, we understand this covenant idea. Um, to, again, to really understand judges, I would encourage you over the next couple of months, I mean, go back and read the book of Exodus and realize God began to create these promises and he was providing for his people. Um, read the book of Deuteronomy. The Deuteronomy talks a lot about God's covenant and you see his promises just being laid out there. Read the book of Joshua because especially those three books are the the great context for this book of Judges and that we understand God gave all these promises and all these vows and the people made vows to God and they broke those vows to God, but God was faithful. He always will be. So let me just give you a a couple of verses uh, from from Exodus, from Joshua, from Deuteronomy that sort of set up a little bit better understanding of where we are right now in uh, Judges chapter 3. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, second book, chapter 23, it says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. This is God's promise that he is going before. He says, I'm sending an angel. I truly believe this is the presence of God. Right we, we have the Trinity. we have God the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. they're inseparable. When Jesus speaks of God the Father, he's speaking of himself, when he speaks of the Holy Spirit, he's speaking of himself, the Spirit and the Father and the Jesus, they're all one. So as Jesus is saying, "I'm sending an angel," he, he could literally be sending an angel as a protector, but he's also making this declaration that "I am going before you, I'm going to guard you on the way, and I'm going to bring you into this place that I have prepared. Now here's the cool thing. It sounds like Jesus does is not it? John 14, I have to leave you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And because God is a covenant keeper, he kept his word with the nation of Israel because Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to keep his word. He has gone to prepare a place. It's going to be a hard journey to get there, but one day I will be in that place that he is clearly prepared a place called heaven as I walk in relationship with him. Joshua chapter 25, as, as Joshua is speaking, uh, the Lord your God will push them back before you and he'll drive them out of your sight and you shall possess the land just as the Lord your God promised you. You can write some of these passages down, I'm not try to kind of follow or flip through your Bible and they're not thrown on the screen. So just write it down, make a note. But he says, be very careful therefore to love the Lord your God. Joshua 23, verse 12, for if you turn back and cling, get this, to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain, here's a promise, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they will be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. In other words, eradicate sin. When we come into a relationship with God, we die to ourself. We die to our sin nature and we're to cast it aside. The trouble is we still dabble with it. Oh yeah, I want a relationship with God. I'm going to pray some magic prayer. We don't eradicate sin. We don't truly surrender. And that's literally what he's saying. He said, when you go in, clear the land, clear the land, drive these things out. Don't intermingle. Don't commingle, because he says the remnant of those nations remaining among you, don't make marriages with them so that you associate with them. Because know for certain, they're, they're going to trap you. They're going to pull you in more than you're going to pull them out. There wasn't this confidence and trust in God. They needed this time to be refreshed, to be renewed, right, in their walk with God to begin to live out what they say they believe. They, they need time to, to begin to live this out. And so Deuteronomy chapter 7, again, he's saying, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. Get this. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Every guy in the room understands this idea. Every, under, every guy in the room understands how a woman can draw you away. I've worked enough with students, I've worked enough with college students, and, and I've worked enough with adults to realize that people are a major distraction in our walking relationship with Jesus. I've discipled young men are passionate about Jesus till little Susie comes along. I'm like, dude, how come, how come you're not showing up for our time? Oh, you know. Dude, where's your covenant with Jesus? And I've told young men, look, here's, here's the deal, and young women too. Chase hard after Jesus. You run as hard and fast after Jesus as you can. And if you happen to look next to you and see some, for guys, see some young woman chasing hard after Jesus like you, then maybe God's bringing you together. Young lady, chase hard after Jesus. And if you are running hard and pursuing Jesus and you happen to look over and see a young man chasing hard after Jesus like you, maybe he's bringing you together. But the problem is we throw it in neutral, we tap the brakes a little bit, we slow down our pace because we're setting ourselves up for spiritual compromise. We settle for God's good instead of holding out for God's best. That's what the nation of Israel is doing. So he says, Deuteronomy 7, picking up in verse 8, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and he redeemed you from the house of slavery. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love oh it's great to be loved by God but I'm going to hang on to just a little bit of sin a little bit of sin's not going to hurt oh God I love you and I'm going to go to church every other week when I'm in town or it's not raining God I love you but I'm going to hang on to just a little bit of sin because a little bit's not going to hurt let's not deceive ourselves Joshua chapter 24. I love this story right before Judges picks up. It says, and the people said to Joshua. Now, so here it is. Joshua's got them on the brinks. They're in. God has given them some incredible incredible victories throughout the book of Joshua. They've conquered Jericho. They've conquered Ai. They even saw Ai as a tiny city. Oh, we got that without God. They realized they were defeated because they took God out of the equation. Then they had to repent. And then God gave them Ai. It's like just this cycle. Right before they've seen all this stuff. And Joshua's getting ready to disperse the people. Every man to his inheritance in Joshua 24 verse 21. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord, right? Here's this, this famous, as for me and my house, we, you can choose, you can choose who you want to serve. But Joshua saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's saying, I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. I don't know what you're going to do. As for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. That's this passage, Joshua 24. Then Joshua said to the people, Get this, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses verse 23, he said, then then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. This is the declaration that they're making in vow and covenant to God. And Joshua said to all the people, now I I love this. I I try to picture this in my head. He says, behold uh, this stone. So, he obviously walked over or bent over whatever, and he picked up a stone. And I have no idea how big the stone is. You know, maybe it's one of these giant, you know, I don't know. But he picked up a stone, and he said, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Now, can I pause right there for a second? Who else talked about stones? Who else talked about the rocks? Wasn't it Jesus? New Testament, when the Pharisees came and said, hey, Jesus, you got to, you got to tell these people to stop giving you praise. And what did he say? He said, look, if they stop giving me praise, the very rocks will cry out. Well, here it is. Joshua was saying, look, this stone, this stone that I'm picking up, this stone is a witness. This stone has heard everything that you have just declared. And so he says, For it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. And it says that they took this stone and jotted some stuff on it and kept it by the altar. As a constant remembrance. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a stone this sounds really weird, but several years ago on a mission trip, just a, a season of life that I was in in my walk and relationship with Jesus Christ, I was out and just sort of a time of renewal, was a time of personal renewal, I, even out on this trip. And, and I found this little smooth stone and I picked it up and I carried it for the rest of the day. And then I carried it the next day and I slipped it in my pocket and I carried that thing for several years. It would sit on the dash of, of my car in this little, little pocket area and I would grab that thing because it was a constant reminder. You know what other stones we have? We have lots of stones. If, if you want a stone of remembrance about your vow with God, pick up this stone. Listen, I, I well, I love the word of God. I hate my phone. I'm, I'm not a big Bible app guy and all that kind of stuff. Listen, there's something about this. There's something about holding this stone and that when I get up in the morning and it's in a prominent place or it's sitting next to my bed and I look at that and I go, that is my stone of remembrance. I established a covenant with God and I'm going to hold fast to that covenant through the truth of his word. We have other types of stones in our culture, t-shirts. We wear covenant stones of our favorite teams. I've been tempted to wear my cub jersey up here. That's one of my stones, right? Um... I wear a, a, a bracelet, this little bl- black bracelet I have worn probably for the last 15 years. My wife said, that's got to go. I said, babe, it's, it's a stone for me. Uh, it was a pivotal point in my ministry in the word on it. Several people looked at it and said, oh, I read that wrong. <laughs> um, it, it says disciple shift. Because it was a period of life in my ministry when I'm like, God, I think I'm doing it wrong. I think we're doing it wrong. I want to go back to who you are. I want to go back to the truth of your word. And that bracelet, as silly as it may seem, has been a stone of remembrance for me. It's something I see regularly. Um, T shirts, we go to a conference and, you know, oh man, I'm going to be a promise keeper. So I'm going to get a shirt. And that shirt is a stone of remembrance until I decide I don't want to keep my promises anymore. Do you have a stone? Something that you go back to and you remember, this is, as, as this stone is my witness, God, I'm gonna serve you faithfully. People become stones. There are people in my life who are rocks, who hold me accountable, who ask me the hard questions, who say, Dave, how are you doing in your walk in relationship with Jesus Christ? Is there any area that you need to live in reckless abandoned surrender? They hold me accountable to my wife. There are a couple of guys that, that Leslie knows she will call. If I get to that place of really screwing up in my life and my marriage, she will call them. They will get in a car. They will get on a plane, wherever they are. They will hunt me down and they will kick my rear end because they were stones of remembrance. They were witnesses to me of the covenant that I established with my wife. And they ask me hard questions to this day. Am I loving her the way God intended for me to love her, the way Paul tells me to love her in the book of Ephesians? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. These guys are stones in my life. Do you have stones? The Word of God. Do you put it in a prominent place where it's a constant reminder of the oath and the covenant that you established with God? Well, the people didn't keep their covenant with Jehovah God. They failed to do the very thing that God told them to do, move the people out, evict them, move them out. Instead, they adopted this good neighbor policy. Hey, we'll just like coexist. I hate that bumper sticker. There is no coexist. Jesus is the biggest bigot, most intolerant bigot on the face of the earth because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. There's no other way to the Father except through me. That made Jesus right now, I'm telling you in our culture, the biggest tolerant, most most intolerant bigot in in our culture is Jesus. So you, when you begin to take a stand for Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean I don't like you, but I can embrace and and praise who you are in your sin. I can love you. I can care for you. But I can't praise you, man. What do you need? How can I help? How can I love you? How can I care for you? I'm not loving you if I lie to you. That's not love. I'm a dad. I understand. It does. Christopher does no good to lie to you. As my son, I love you and I care for you. I'm not going to let you do something that's destructive. That's not love. But they adopted this good neighbor policy, and and eventually they were defeated from within. So what happens is this curiosity, because they went in and they didn't do what God asked them to do, just like us in our Christian life sometimes, God says, you are to be set apart, you are to be holy, you are a holy people, righteous to me, sanctified, which means set apart. Well, we don't set ourselves apart, we compromise. And it may seem subtle and, oh, it's really not a big deal. It's just a little sin. And we we begin to compromise because that curiosity is often the first step toward conformity. Oh, but it's just a little bit. It's okay if I do this just tonight or just this little bit. We, We have lost the picture of what it means to be sanctified, holy, completely set apart for the purpose of a holy, righteous God. I want just enough God to make me happy. I want just enough God to save me and go to heaven. How do you know you're going? You said some magic words. There are no magic. There's no magic words in Scripture. There is no sinner's prayer anywhere in this Bible. There's no magic prayer. It's like, no, this Bible talks about Surrender. It talks about reckless abandon. It talks about giving my life, dying to myself, being born again in Jesus Christ. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. All things have become new. That's the scripture. That's salvation. Let's quit playing around. Let's quit messing around thinking that God is somehow pleased because we we do a few things. That's not the covenant that God established with his people. He said, eradicate sin, move it out, get rid of it, live a holy, separated life. That doesn't mean we don't impact the world. We do. It's very clear in the Great Commission. We impact a lost and dying world, but we have to be separated and holy. So we pick it up in Judges chapter three. If you still have your Bible open, that's where we are, Judges chapter three and verse five. Now you all want you to see what happened to the covenant. Look what happened, Judges three, verse five. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites. What? Move them out. Don't marry. Don't give up your sons. Don't give up your daughters. They lived among the Canaanites. Not just them, the Hittites. Not just them, but also the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. What a bunch of parasites that were infecting the nation of Israel. You and I dabble with a few little things, we go, that's really not a big deal. Listen, sin is a parasite. And it's going to attach itself to you in any way that it can. Satan is seeking to see who he can devour. And the more you want to walk with Jesus Christ, the more he's coming after you. So as they move in and they begin to take over the land, of course, Satan's on the attack. They compromised. That little bit of curiosity in their heart, and their head, led them to conformity. They didn't impact the people around them. And I see this in the Christian life all the time. Oh, I can go do all these things. I'm being a witness. No, you're not. There is no such thing as evangelism dating. I'll just tell you that right now. Oh, man, I heard that through all the years of student ministry and collegiate ministry. Oh, you know, is she a passionate follower of Jesus Christ? No, no, but I'm praying for her and I'm working on her. Cut it off. Cut it off right now. Cut it off. The idea of evangelism dating. What a stupid idea. He said, don't intermarry. Don't intermarry because you will be compromised. Verse 6, Judges chapter 3, And their daughters, they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. Oh, man, what happened? Exodus, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Oh, God, we're going to serve you. We're going to do this. This this rock is going to be our witness, and we're going to walk with you. What happened? So they're introduced to this king of Mesopotamia, and we're introduced then to the first judge that's listed here, Othniel. The easy way in America is just Othniel. Othniel, the last two words, E-L, is literally the, the root name of Jehovah God. It's, that's E-L is actually where we get El Shaddai, El Elyon, El It's a primary root of the name of God. And so uh, what we extract from Othniel is that he is a warrior of God. That God goes before him. We're introduced to, to Othniel back in Judges, or I'm sorry, in Joshua, somewhere around verse chapter 10. Because he's a warrior there. He goes and he takes a city. And so whether by blood or by marriage, we know that he is connected to Joshua and Caleb. So this guy comes from good stock right? Uh, here's a guy that has been raised and, and there's this generational pouring into. So, I think Othiel is probably one of the most solid judges we see. I, I don't know that for sure because we literally don't have a lot about him. But the fact that he's been hanging around men who are passionate about Jesus says something. This, this, this guy, I don't, we don't even know how old he is, but we know that he's, he's been influenced greatly by Joshua and Caleb. So as we are introduced to his story, look at Judges chapter 3. Let's pick it up in verse 7. And the people of Israel, here it is, did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is our cycle. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God. And they served the Baals and the Asheroth, which are just the gods. It's the decadent gods. Horrible stuff. Wicked. Wicked. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of uh, cushan Reshathayim. So we're just going to call this guy Cush, okay? Um, Now, when when it says that God sold them, we see that several times in the book of Judges. And it's not that he sold them for something. He gave them over. In in essence, it's kind of like this. You want to live as slave? I'll give you over like a slave. You want to live in covenant fellowship and relationship with me? That's my plan. Stay with it. But if you don't, you want to live as a slave in bondage to your sin, I will let you do that. And so he literally just gave them over. Um, This guy, Cush, his name literally means double wicked. So this this guy's horrible. He's horrible. And God said, "I, I just want you to eradicate. I want you to evict them and move them out Don't associate because you're not at a place you're going to influence them. They're going to influence you and their curiosity led to conformity. So he says, um, uh, and the people served this double wicked for eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. That is a judge for the people of Israel who saved them. Now, What this part does not say, it doesn't say that they repented. It never says that they repented. Nikki mentioned repentance earlier. And I think I understand the heart of God in this as a dad, that there were times I would extend grace and mercy to one of my children, even though they didn't deserve it. It didn't say they come in repentance and and sackcloth and ashless before the Lord and they weren't fasting for repentance. It said they were just crying out. In other words, they were frustrated. They were miserable. And God in his mercy and grace stepped in. Verse nine, but when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up and delivered the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Verse 10, the spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel, that is to rule, to deliver, to administrate. He went out to war and the Lord gave Cush, Mr. Double Wicked, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Double Wicked Man. Uh, In verse 11, so the land had rest for 40 years, then Othniel died. When I look at this passage, I want to share a couple of things just quick. And these are things that I believe will transfer to every other passage that we look out, uh, look at through the rest of this series. Uh, the first thing, if, if we're going to walk in relationship with Jesus, we need to learn to take God at his word. We need to learn to take God at his word. See, the people made vows with God, but they didn't keep them. Uh, They missed the point of his love relationship that he was extended to them, and all the history, all the promises, all the miracles, all the deliverance that God had already given them, they saw as his law and his provision kind of as a burden. All these things that God said, look, we're going to be in a love relationship. I I just want you to do these things. I want you to obey these things because it's part of my protection of you. They saw that as a burden, And they missed the point. So, Deuteronomy, let me jump jump back for a sec. Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord. That is to live in reverential awe, to be so amazed. When was the last time you just got in front of God and you were just in awe? You were just amazed. He says, I just want you to be amazed at God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Sounds like Jesus, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, Deuteronomy 10, 13, and to keep the commands and statutes for the Lord. Now get this, which I am giving you today for your own good. Wait, what? What did he just say? Our culture, and maybe you, I did as a kid for a long time, struggled with the idea of God and all his commands. All the rules, oh my gosh. Going to church, that's where you have all those rules. Nope. I don't have a rule that I live by. I have commands. And I see those commands. When I I began to unpack this in my much younger days, wait, God, so you're saying all these commands you've given me for my good. Wait. So, God, what you're saying is you're not the cosmic killjoy. Oh, you go to church. That means you can't do stuff. I'm free to do whatever the Holy Spirit of God allows me to do. See, freedom is not doing everything that you think you want to do. Freedom is doing the things you know you ought to do. It changed my relationship with God. Wait, so all these commands are given me for my good. The picture that has forever been in my mind, and I hope you never get behind the wheel of your car again and don't, remember your walking relationship with God. Because when you, when you pull out on the road, which side do you go to? Some of you. Hopefully most of you. Right? And there's these lines on there. Those lines, you know what those lines are like? It's, it's like the swimmer. Any swimmers in the room? I know we have a lot of swim teams in Raleigh. I don't swim. I paddle. I float. And I often sink, but I don't really swim. But you know, uh, or a runner, any track runners, relay people in the house, Pastor Scott would go, yeah, runners. I'm like, oh, go sit down. Um, but when a, when, a, when a swimmer lines up on the edge of the pool or a runner is lining up in, the, in their, do you notice they have these paths? They have this lane that they're supposed to swim in or run in. That to me is my constant picture of this passage in Deuteronomy. All of these commands, Dave, I've given you for your good. Now, let me ask you a question for the smart people in the house. What are those lanes for? To keep us safe. Keep us safe. What else? To guide us, to protect us, not to crash. What are you crashing into in the water? Um, except other swimmers, right? So, so here's the idea. Um, yeah, okay, anyway. Uh, um, there's a reason that lane is there. And you talk to any swimmer, any competitive swimmer, any competitive runner, and they look at that, and are you kidding, this is my lane. This lane that's marked off for me gives me the greatest opportunity to win. Unhindered, unimpaired, this is my lane, this gives me the greatest opportunity to win. Now what happens, let me ask you a question. Uh, Let's say I'm here and and I'm swimming and, and you know, Someone's over here, and they're swimming, and they cross into my lane. What happens? No. Crash. You're hooked on crash. So Spiro's on my right, and he crosses into my lane. What happens to Spiro? He's disqualified. Why? Uh, Although we did crash, we probably crashed. The Olympic committee is going to go, Spiro, you are disqualified. they, They bring a biblical word to it. You transgressed. You transgressed. You entered someone else's lane and you impaired the greatest possibility. Now, even if I'm in last place, even if I'm at the very end, it's still, hey, no, we want to give you the greatest possibility to win. You transgressed. You sinned into Dave's lane therefore causing him to, to be impaired. So when I run in my lane, God is saying, Dave, you, I want to give you the greatest opportunity to win. And the greatest opportunity you have is to stay in your lane. I started to understand this even more as a dad with my kids. My, my goal is not to, to suppress you, to keep you from having fun. There's a reason I tell you don't go play out in the street with a ball. Right, I mean, there's a reason we do that. We're not idiots. I love you. I care for you. So I'm creating a, a rule, a boundary. But if you stay in the yard, you have the you, everything here is yours. You are absolutely free to live in my grace and my mercy because here I can protect you. I can care for you. When you get outside my hedge of protection, my boundary of protection, my guardrails, Dave, now you're on your own. I can't care for you anymore. That is the picture of the nation of Israel and their relationship with God. His covenant, do these things. Love me because I love you. Do these things because I care for you. I want to give you the greatest opportunity to win. I'm giving you this land. Obey me, walk in obedience, flee from all sin, get rid of it. Deuteronomy 11, it says, you shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong. See, when we don't take God at his word, we begin to deviate. All of a sudden, weakness begins to settle in. Compromise begins to settle in. Sin begins to take over because I'm not obeying the whole commandment. I'm compromising my walk and relationship with God. But see, to take God at his word, there's two implications. If you have your notes and you're following along, the first is that the first implication of taking God at his word is that, one, you know him. Do you know him? I'm not asking if you know about him. I'm not asking you if you've heard of him. I'm not asking you if you've joined a church or if you've been, I'm asking, do you know him? Know him in the marriage biblical sense. When it says that they knew each other, they were intimate with each other. Do you know him? Week one, Pastor Scott talked about the difference between profession and possession. See, we can talk about God all day. We can say the things that, oh, I believe this and I believe that. We, we, can, we can make words of profession, but do you possess him? Are you living in intimacy with him? Because I think the nation of Israel, when we look at this, this book of Judges, is so much like us. God, I want all the stuff you promised to give me, but I don't want you. God, I want the hand of your blessing but I don't want your heart. That's why he said, love me, love me with all your heart. Be in reverential awe of my wonder and my glory and my splendor and my holiness. How often do we reject the heart of God because we want his hand? And that curiosity turns into conformity. I've known so many people who've gotten mad at God because all they're doing is they're looking for his hand nation of Israel got mad at God. Why? Because they turned their back on God. I've dealt with families. I've dealt with individuals and in struggles when it's like, man, I prayed for this and I prayed for this and God didn't give me what I want. I'm mad at God. I'm like, grow up. Right? Oh, but God didn't give me a new car. God didn't do this. God didn't do this. God, you know, my family still got sick. And we Wait, does that change the heart and the character of God? Do I still love him? Am I still walking in obedience to him? We get mad at God because God's not doing the things we want him to do for us. What a distorted picture. That's exactly where they are. So to take God at his word, number one implies that we know him too, that that it implies that we know his word, right? If you want to know God, you have to know his word. So I'm going to tell you right now, pick up your stone. We run to all the other things. It's like, oh man, but that's a lot of reading. It sure is. And I tell people all the time find one verse, find one chapter, right? Uh, I I tell them all the time, we're not reading for quantity, we're reading for quality. And I've taught this to, to guys for years and years. Pick up one chapter, read the same chapter every day. They're like, oh, that sounds really repetitive. Yep, it sure is. Every day you're asking a different question of the text, and God's showing you something brand new. It's unbelievable. Pick up your stone get to know God by knowing his word. If you're going to take God of his word, you have to know his word. So what did David say? The psalmist in Psalm 119, beginning in verse 10, he said, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, he says, I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why? Because when this is my stone and it's my path and that's what I'm pursuing, I'm staying in my lane and I'm pursuing Jesus. You got to know his word. If you're going to take him at his word, you got to know him and you got to know his word. My second point is simply this. You have to talk the talk. Living in relationship and intimacy with Christ, we enjoy him fully and no one can do that for you. No one can do it for you. You can't do it for anyone. We can't do it for others. But here's Othniel, comes from a strong family, strong stock. He's got a heritage. They poured into his life. They've kind of entered into this this disciple-making relationship. I'm going to raise up another one that's going to come behind me. Who's going to raise up another one who comes behind him? See, I think that part of the difficulty, at least it's what I've experienced in my life and in the ministry that I've been in for, for a number of years as I interact with people, is that, that we know a lot of information. And we can say some of the right words. But for so many, it's like we know more than we live. Right? That, that we get to this place where... Um, I'm educated well beyond my level of obedience. I say the right things, but are you living it? Right? Othniel knew he was, he was clinging to something. There's so many stories that we, we get to and we find that they're kind of wicked and depraved and hiding and everything. We don't see that with Othniel. There's very little here. But again, kind of believing that he came from some strong stock that people had poured their life into him, it's like, no, he was willing, he was ready to be obedient. I've been through those seasons of being educated well beyond my level of obedience to walk with Jesus. And so we have to talk the talk, but then we have to walk the walk. See, we have to grow in knowledge. We have to grow in understanding. We have to know His Word. If we're going to know the heart of God, we have to know the Word of God. So I have to be growing, but I also have to begin to live out what I say I believe. I love what it says here in Judges chapter 3, um, verse 10, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. I, I personally believe this is the... This is the Holy Spirit of God. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus upon his life. This is not just some angel. This is not just some manifestation. This is not some good burning bosom feeling or anything else. The Spirit of the Lord God was upon him. It empowered him. Where did this come from? Well, this creates a picture for us of the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 1, as Paul is teaching us, he says, when you believed, in other words, when you surrendered, when you truly gave your life to Jesus, what does he say? You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. But he doesn't stop there. He said, who is a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When I surrendered and gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ, the Bible tells me that God gave me a gift that gift is the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And that is simply a deposit guaranteeing everything else that's still coming because the Holy Spirit's doing a work and he's drawing me in. John 15, Jesus talks about this, abide in me and I in you, right? That as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me we have to stay with him we don't do anything on our own apart from the work of the holy spirit of god in us acts 1:8 and the holy spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses doesn't say you might doesn't say hey think about it doesn't say hey pray about it doesn't say go through a training program he says the holy spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses that's the spirit of god alive and at work in a believer we don't do anything apart from the spirit of god i've tried some of my biggest failures, and I've had a lot, comes when I step out thinking I can do something for God apart from His Holy Spirit. Yet, I've discovered another principle, right, to take the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit. When I don't feel equipped and I don't feel ready, take the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. Because my success is not in someone's conversion or action or anything else. My success comes in walking in obedience to and surrender and submission to the Holy Spirit of God. To do the things that, man, God, I could never do that. Do it anyway. Led by the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is speaking of what it means to live by the Spirit. He says, don't get drunk with wine. And he's creating this parallel. People say, oh, yeah, it's about liquor. No, it's not. It's not. He's creating a parallel of what does it look like to live abandoned to the Holy Spirit? You live kind of like a person. you, You aren't really that way, right? Your personality is shifted. It's different. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. That word literally means to be controlled and empowered. Othniel was controlled and empowered. The Holy Spirit came upon him. He was controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And he went and conquered something on God's behalf in the power of God through the presence of the Spirit of God to do something he was incapable of doing first. He knew warfare. Go back to Joshua chapter 10. He knew warfare. He conquered a city. It didn't say he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here it says the Holy Spirit came upon him and he became a leader. He became an influencer. It's amazing what God will do with one person who surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God. Imagine what he would do with a church that is living in reckless abandon to the Holy Spirit of God. Years ago, I had a very sweet little lady at a church I was pastoring. Pastor Dave, when are we going to have a revival? And I said, when all of us simultaneously are living in surrender the Holy Spirit of God. To which she answered, yeah, it's not what I mean. What are we going to schedule one on the calendar and have someone come in and preach? That's not you. So <laughs> I said, my answer is the same. I love the picture that we have here, though. Judges 3, 11, so the land had rest. Circle that word, underline that word. The land had rest. When we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, we have rest. That word carries with it the idea of comfort and security. They were secure in their walk in relationship with Christ because now they were back and depending on him. Until the next verse, when we're introduced to a new judge and a whole new series of circumstances. Let me close with this quote as the team is coming up. This man, his name was T.J. Bach. Um, he was a missionary. Um, neat guy, like in the 1800s, and he, he started doing some mission work down in, in uh, Venezuela and Colombia, and he established some mission work there. And He later became the director of a group called the Evangelical uh, Alliance Mission. Um, I think they're still existent to this day. But I remember in a a book once he he'd said this. He said, "The Holy, listen carefully. The Holy Spirit longs to reveal to you the deeper things of God. He longs to love through you. He longs to work through you. Through the blessed Holy Spirit, you may have strength for every duty." You may have wisdom for every problem. You may have comfort in every sorrow. You may have joy in His overflowing service. Those things come when we surrender to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes upon us. If you're saved, you have the gift of the Spirit. I want to ask you a question. What are you willing to do this week to step out by faith and allow God through the presence of His Holy Spirit to do something crazy through you? to share his love with someone, to establish a disciple-making relationship with someone. I mean, I could never do that. Sure you can. If you're walking with Jesus and you're falling in love with Jesus, you can do that. You can get to pour into someone else and grow together. What stones do you have? I want to encourage you to pick this up this week and say, God, you are a covenant maker. You are a covenant keeper. And I'm going to take you at your word. Father, in this place, we surrender to you right now. Lord, throughout this place, maybe for those attending online, God, you're speaking to hearts. You're, you're dealing with me and situations in my life. And God, I'm going to trust you because you're a faithful God. God, I want to live like Othniel. God, I want the Holy Spirit to come upon me, and I want, I want to be used by you. God, not just once in a while, but all the time, every day, every moment. God, would you encourage me through others to live in reckless abandon? Or for that person in this room that needs to come to know you, Lord, would you just embrace them and love them right now, draw them close to you? Lord, some people in this place need to be renewed. Lord, would you speak to their heart? And Father, as a church, but mostly as individuals, will you draw us close? convey your love and your grace to us. You are a great and mighty God. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.